Welcome to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and Tech podcast, a roundtable discussion with leading WordPress tech experts. Here's your hosts, Jonathan Denwood and Andrew Palmer. And we're live on the WP Tonic podcast, which is WordPress and tech for this week. I'd like to welcome all the guests. Uh, I'd like to specifically welcome Tanya Quintieri, who is uh, a translation expert and Mrs. Divi.com. Introduce yourself to Tanya and uh, tell people how you got on this podcast in the last 45 minutes. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, well, thank you for having me, Andrew, and everybody else. Um, like you mentioned, I'm a translator turned web designer, and so I specialize in multilingual websites for my clients. And um, I do a little bit of hosting and some SEO work. Um, been doing this since 2002, um, with WordPress specifically since 2009, I believe, or 10, something like that. Um, yeah, and how did I end up here? Uh, you asked me, and I said, yes, love, of course. <laughs> Always good to brilliant. see you. You won't brilliant. say, right, that, you, got, you won't say that afterwards, though, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. So it'll be a quite a long show because we're talking about language, uh, trans- languages and translation at the end of the show, so hopefully okay. you can stick with us on that. And uh, I'll welcome our second uh, female person here, our lovely... Stephanie Hudson. How are you, Stephanie? Introduce yourself to the crowd. Hey guys, I am Stephanie Hudson, owner of Focus WP. Find me at focuswp.co or in my Facebook group, Focus on Your Biz. Excellent. And our special guest as well today, Chris Badgett from Lifter LMS. Say hello, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me, Andrew. Uh, it's great to be here. So I'm Chris from Lifter LMS. We help course creators create, launch, and scale high value online learning platforms. Perfect. Where's your lock? Chris? What? Where's the orange? Where's the? Uh, I can get them on. Vision. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm running a little late today, so I'm a little. I don't have all my stuff ready. But now it's oh. Chris Badgett. <laughs> That's why I didn't recognise you, Chris, when I first said hello. Uh, John Locke, tell us about you're you're into SEO as well, aren't you? Tony's into a bit of that. Yeah, uh, my name is John Locke, and I do SEO mostly for industrial and manufacturing companies. Perfect, brilliant, and. Uh, Nearly last but not least, Spencer Foreman. It's Spencer Foreman from WPLongify.com. Perfect. That and uh, my co-host for today, Jonathan Denwood, the founder of WP Tonic. Say hello, John. Hi there, tribe. It's, it's Jonathan Denwood. <clears throat> and we build e-learning websites for e-learning entrepreneurs. Back over to Perfect. you, Andrew. Perfect. Thank you so much. Right, we've got quite a lot to get through today, but first we need, of all... We need... Oh, sorry, Andrew. Sorry. But <laughs> first of all, we're going to visit our sponsor, Castus. Hi there, folks. I just wanted to tell you about our major sponsor, and that's Castos. If you're looking to get into podcasting for yourself or for clients, you need a top-quality podcasting platform, and that's what you get with Castos. It has a superb interface, really easy to use, and you're not penalised for success. They have a flat-rate pricing structure. Don't matter how many podcasts you make, how many downloads you achieve, you'll just pray a 
that one fixed rate with Castos. Plus there's support and just the quality of the people are just amazing. Also, for the WP Tonic Tribe, Castos is just offering an amazing deal. If you go to the WP Tonic website, backlink newsletter, you can get your first six months at half price. That's right, half price. That's only an exclusive offer to you, the tribe. Also, you'll be able to sign up for the WP Tonic weekly newsletter, which keeps you informed about all the stories and what's happening in the WP Tonic tribe. Please show your support for the show and support Castos. It's a fantastic platform. And we're back. Right, the first uh, story for the week is, and I think I've got it wrong here, but I'm going to go to, uh, yeah, John Cormack. Uh, John Carmack issues some words of warning for Meta in his Metaverse plans. And we've always talked about Metaverse and Facebook and all this kind of stuff. And I want to get from the panel, what do you think about this guy's perspective as he's actually in the business? You know, he's a, an Oculus consulting CTO. He knows what's going on in the Metaverse, if there's ever going to be a Metaverse. And uh, I'm going to go to actually John Locke on this one, first of all. What, what's your view of this uh, particular um, post? So very interesting. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, it seems like the metaverse, they want to create uh, something similar to what you might have seen in the Oasis in uh, Ready Player One or uh, just a place where there's a world uh, now, my son just got an Oculus, and I can tell you uh, that the virtual reality it is it very much like fools your brain. Uh, we just play like simple games, but it basically is is way more advanced than it was in the nineties. Um, but that's just for like one uh, small thing with their proof of concept with the the Zuckerberg video is they want to, to basically build like a whole interconnecting world. Um, and this is something that, that various companies have done on the internet. They've been trying to do uh, for a long time, basically create uh, miniature worlds. Um, I think it's a really ambitious project, but I think you'd have to have a unifying thing. I think they mentioned RoboBlocks in here as a model of, what they could use uh, or, or a model of, of what the metaverse would look like. I think there is a lot of potential. I think the technology is there. The part that I worry about is in the regular internet on things like social media, we have a hard time uh, keeping out harassers and trolls and, uh, you know, hate speech and things like that. And I wonder how that's going to work in the metaverse because I, I, I sense that there's going to be even less control over what uh, appears there. So that's that's one of my biggest concerns. Okay. What do you think, Tanya? You've got a, a daughter that's growing up. She's, is she going to grow up in the metaverse? I'm afraid so. And I have to agree with the author. There's like this one point that really worries me, but not so much from, from the text. Well, I guess it's text standpoint. But he made a very good point about it being dangerous for one single company to be building that metaverse and for one company making decisions and potentially making wrong decisions. Um, I agree with that, but I would add to that that eventually we're going to create reliabilities 
upon this metaverse. And um, whenever humankind becomes or, or, you know, has to rely on something that's out of their control, um, I find that scary. And especially, you know, like he says, if it's just one company doing it and, and we're having to rely on them um, to make it work. And, and I'm thinking of things like, you know, controlling your fridge or starting your car or I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't like the dependencies that come with it. Yeah, do you think you, do you think we might get the the attack of the house like was in iRobot with with Will Smith and everything like that? And you go around your house and it's getting it, demolished by a robot. Do you think that that, that I, I, I think process that's is not there? so. Yeah, I, I don't think that's that far fetched, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so, Jonathan Denwood. Yes. My co-host, give me your opinion on this post. You oh, choose all the posts every week, so you've obviously got an opinion on it. Give us it. Never. Uh, um, so uh, um, I think there's two points to this story. Um, obviously, I've got a I've got a bash mark again. The, you know the disease founder of Facebook. You know a, a true sociopath. You know having him control the virtual world. What could go wrong? Um, the second point uh, um, is I think it's a very similar situation to smartphones before the iPhone, um, you know, which um, was a turning point. You had existing technology, but it was it was taking all that technology and putting it in a, di- a different way that kind of revolutionised. And I think that's the problem with um, virtual reality. Until you got better hardware, it's, it's linked software with hardware and both are in synergy with one another. So they it won't take off until you've got much better hardware. But on the other hand, you also need the games, the 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 reality the virtual reality places. So it's uh, it's it'll be interesting to see how it all works out, Andrew. Perfect. Chris. Badget, you're into learning management systems and people being online, whether it's a, a live presentation or whether it's a recorded video for people learning. What's your opinion on the metaverse currently? For learning, I think it's an absolutely amazing democratizing thing. I think it's awesome. And uh, just, I actually spend a lot of time thinking about the metaverse. I'm a futurist kind of guy. I've been into like the metaverse idea for a long time. And the interesting thing that's happening is that is, your is, is that your virtual glasses? <laughs> this is to protect me from the metaverse. Actually, oh. uh, I think the metaverse is like becoming popular as a word, but it's it's like a meme. It's an organizing principle. But what's underneath it? I see it more as a kind of an internet of everything. And the metaverse, the way I see it, is and I heard this from a, a guy named Sean. Uh, it's really just a tipping point in time where we spend more of our lives, kind of like the singularity, it's a tipping point where we spend more of our life on the internet. That's what the metaverse really is. I'm a big fan of uh, like a not just one metaverse, uh, like a, a you know many different virtual experiences. The really big idea is interoperability. So how do you take an NFT out of like one metaverse, like a digital asset, whether it's a sword, a crypto punk, a uh, course certificate, whatever it is, 
and then take it over into another metaverse. And then the, you know, this is where the whole blockchain cryptocurrency thing comes into play in terms of the internet of value. How do we transact? How do we build economies inside the metaverse in an interoperable way where, where we can relate between these different worlds? Then there'll be the war between the centralized uh, metaverse, like if Facebook owns one and tries to control it, that's like a centralized monopolistic metaverse. Whereas like a decentralized DAO, D, uh, which is, stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization, which is a real democratic way of running something where no single party has control except for the people with the tokens, which I won't get into all that. It's like the opposite. So the, the centralized will fight the decentralized. And I don't think we're going to transcend or we're not going to, it's not like one's going to win and not everything needs to be decentralized and not everything needs to be on the internet. Not everything needs to be in person, just like with learning. I think it's great that people learn in person and physical environments offline, but I think it's also great that they learn online. So it's not about, uh, you know, killing off the past. It's more about transcending and including. Now with all gotcha. great technological innovations, uh, like when the car was first invented, people started like running into horses and having accidents and all this stuff. I think the metaverse that we're in, it's really just an underlying layer protocol of the internet. People are going to get hurt. This is where people like Morton are really important with their ethics and whatnot. People are going to get super addicted. People are going to use uh, the ability to be anonymous, to spread hate and fear and things like that. Um, and then people are going to, uh, you know, take advantage of others. So embracing the metaverse with ethics and figuring out how to, how to, how to operate in this way is, uh, it's, it's also prone to a lot of danger. So we need to figure out how to be safe, not be super addictive and develop all these mental health challenges. But inside of all that, there is a lot of opportunity of, of technological innovation and connecting people and unlocking extreme creativity and innovation. All right, I'm, I'm going to cut that one down now because that, that's great. I agree with you in the whole, and we're going to have issues with, um, you know, adult content and whether kids are going to be able to access it and all that kind of stuff. And I'm wondering, Stephanie, whether you, you actually care what's going on with you. With the I, would, I would just like to say, um, Chris, can we like have some beers and sit around a fire and you tell me all about this stuff some more? Cause sure. you could just listen. Like I'm so fascinated by this and I, I do care, but I feel very like, I didn't know what a lot of the words you said even meant. So like, <laughs> I like if I wanted to dip a toe into the meta, like, what would you say? Like, what do I do? I get an Oculus? Like, is that the thing to start playing around with this stuff? I don't have an Oculus. I just want to say, I think that the thing is, we're already in the metaverse. We're in the metaverse right now, having this meeting and this conversation. That the is tools, so meta. Yeah. It's just the tools are evolving. And yes, virtual reality and 3D and stuff is going to take it to another level, but we're already there. And I would argue almost everybody on this call has already crossed the event horizon, meaning we spend more of our life online than in person kind of thing. So it's true. It's true. It's on, it's on you reality. Spencer, I'm going to give you a minute on this one. Then we're going to move on to a particularly big story in the WordPress space. The thing that's relevant, I talked to my friend next door about this because we have kids the same age and I have the Oculus Rift 2. And uh, two things. Imagine Neuralink 
from what Elon Musk is doing as the interface along with the metaverse. Because right now, as John Locke rightly said, the addictive potential for this is gigantic. And I'm saying it from a very cynical point of view, but whether it's the games or the interaction with people with your clothes on or the interaction with people with your clothes off, hint, hint, when you have an interface that will be connected to all of your senses directly instead of through a janky headset, which, by the way, is not janky, but it's visual and auditory, and now they have pinch controls, so you don't have to hold controllers. I don't have to be too graphic here. The point is, when you can be yourself like you are in a dream, it's going to be a very, very um, exciting slash scary, interesting scenario because those that are familiar with Ready Player One know there was like a, a character says, yeah. you figured out you can make 150,000 ads before somebody has a seizure and their brain shuts down <laughs> or something. So let's show them 149,999. And like, that's what Zuckerberg is already calculating in the tech. Yeah, right. How many ads can they, can they take? Yeah, I get it. Oh, I get bro, it. You mean robot, man. <laughs> so read, read between the lines. This is my last sentence. Cormac, I trust, because I was a big player of Doom when it came out. And even on a 640 by 480 display, my friends and I lost 36 to 48 hours at a time without eating, sleeping, or going to the bathroom. Yeah, it's crazy. Big, bands, plugs, big bang stuff. When it plugs directly in your brain and your senses, somebody has to be in charge that isn't Zuckerberg, because otherwise it really becomes a problem. <laughs> well, I agree. Right, but I'm going to move on now. I'm going to move on to... The biggest story that came out really came out about 4.30 p.m. UK time, so quite late, really, uh, US time. Pagely.com, the inventors, the, the, the undisputed inventors of managed WordPress have been acquired by GoDaddy. Did you read the blog post that Joshua Strebel, the owner, and Sally obviously signed off on that because she's the COO? So a really successful man wife team with who put together a great team and you know advocated tr treating your staff well and treating your customers well and charging a lot more money than any other host and in fact in the interview with Corey Miller last night the live interview the part that I said Joshua said he used to clown GoDaddy and now GoDaddy have put on a new hat and said we want you we want to we want to be like you bit like the jungle book so uh, i'm going to ask jonathan's opinion on this one first because i left him out on the other one go on well i don't really know well i do know what to say you know i, w I really wish them well it's you know they're great people i don't know them personally i have met them a couple of times i'm sure chris knows them better um and it's a great day for them um i thought the post was good i in fair I don't want to bash them. I thought it was a little, there was a particular paragraph that I thought was semi delusionary, uh, um, where Josh remarks that they're going to GoDaddy and they're going to change the culture of GoDaddy. You've got to be kidding. You, you're delusionary, Josh. All I can say, um, they're, you know, they're going to go to GoDaddy and it's like the Borg. They're going to be, Simulated, and that will be the end of Pagely. Um, goodbye, Pagely. You know, just like Media Temple. You know, it's like it's like it's like Facebook. It's like kicking a dog. 
I, I, there's only so many kicks I can hand out. You know, I've made my feelings quite clear what I think of Go Daddy. You know, I, I won't even work with a client that insists that we have to deal with Go Daddy. I haven't, I just can't waste my life. With those people, it's all right. Well, that you've had you've right. had your you, you've had your opinion on that, and I get it because right. you know Joshua <laughs> is Joshua Strebel is a is a, a a visionary as far as I'm concerned with with WP, you know, word, WordPress management and all that kind of stuff, and that's the way all hosting should run, in my view, and we should educate customers that good hosting costs good money. Um, you know, Chris, you use you've got learning management systems; they're quite heavy because of the video content you know a site needs good hosting this is specifically woo aimed at the woocommerce market so i think it's going to be go godaddy pro which is already more expensive and they're in the managed wordpress space how do you think that's this is going to affect your kind of business and the, the learning management and and you know liquid web must be a little bit um looking at it and think god we just bought LearnDash. we could have done with pagely what do you reckon yeah, that's, there's a lot there. The, um, for a learning management system site, you need heavier hosting, why we, and that's why we recommend a, a small set. Um, it's just resource intensive to have all this dynamic content and interaction, just like sure. e-commerce, but at another level. Um, I'm a Pagely customer. My entire business runs on top of Pagely. And... Uh, I bet you're. I bet you're looking forward to GoDaddy <laughs> being your partner now. I, I'm sure you're so eager to sample. I'm going to take a different Chris. take. I, I, yeah, I like just to give. Jonathan. I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, and I know some very smart people that work at Pagely, uh, like or not at Pagely, but uh, at GoDaddy. Um, so I know GoDaddy has had like a kind of a sordid past or whatever, but I know people get a little tribal around the hosting companies of like what, who they like, who's bad, who's evil and stuff like that. But I, I always like suspend my judgment. And the way I think about hosting is I see it as a commodity. It's super important, but I, I'm paying a hosting company so I don't have to talk to them, right? So that's why I pay the premium to Pagely and uh, we've had to reach out about a few things here or there, but our site's always up. It doesn't go down. We get high traffic. We're good. So that's it. And I'll pay a premium for that. So I think strategically, it's smart for GoDaddy to to have a premium hosting offer. Just if that's the if that's the goal to like kind of cover all yeah, the verticals Chris, in the market. Chris, they did this with Media Temple, and it was it just it was road deaf. I, right, I, you've, I, had your say, you've, you've had yeah. your say, Denwood. I'm going to move on to a really focused WP manages people's websites. So you're into the you're into managed WordPress. Stephanie, what do you reckon? How's this going to affect your business, or is it going to affect your business? You deal with people with GoDaddy sites, I'm yeah. sure. Um, yep. What do you feel? What's your feelings? Not concerned. <clears throat> I don't. I don't really care one way or the other. I think. Uh, it's easy, like in my circles, GoDaddy is such a, uh, we sort of cringe when we say GoDaddy, you know, because of the hosting and the issues that they've had in so many different ways. Um, they did buy Managed WP a while back, and that was a big deal for me. But so far, everything's been fine with that. That one was a much more scary one for me because mm -hmm. we rely on that a lot. But 
you know, I this is like that the whole thing of like, oh, they sold out kind of, right? So you you look at all of your you know, like celebrities, like, oh, you're doing a Coke commercial, you sell sell out, you know. And then you think like if somebody came to you and offered you that much money for like an hour and a half of work, like you would do it in a heartbeat. So it's easy for us to say, like, oh, I would never go to the dark side of GoDaddy. But you know, GoDaddy is a really powerful company. They have a lot oh, no, of I don't, and a lot. Honestly, so, Stephanie, I don't I wasn't saying that, Stephanie. I've got no problem about them. So. Oh, I'm not saying you were saying it. I'm just saying like that's the first thing that sort of comes to my mind. Somebody's like, when we see these articles like, oh, they got bought out by GoDaddy. You're just like, oh, you sell out. Like, why would you do it? You know, like that's that's my first reaction. And then I because there's just like it's it's like the um EIG kind of thing too, right? Where as soon as somebody gets bought by them, you know it's over. It's over, done. But but I I don't know. I don't put GoDaddy and EIG in the same platform. I think GoDaddy hosting, the regular level of hosting, the stuff that the that chick race car driver who would always advertise, whatever, Danica Patrick, right? Like that stuff, it's terrible. It doesn't serve our clients well. Their other services are good. They like they are a big, powerful company, though, and they do a lot of other things well. And they're, I think, they're trying to come out of this stuff. But as far as how it affects me, zero. This this article. Yeah, but and, and I think the same thing. You know, Pagely have a level of customers, and GoDaddy want those customers, so they've acquired those customers. Let's not forget the kind of burnout with founders is is between yeah. five, 10, 15 years. These guys have done it in 12 years. So that's right in the middle of, of, of 15 years. Well, the one thing I noticed immediately was that Joshua changed his title to former CEO. So straight away, we know he's not the CEO of Pagey anymore. I, I, and, and it's not been announced who is going to be in control. But the, the point is, is that all hosts have issues. Oh. You know, we know about the site ground issues. We know about Google issues. We, we we know about these things that, that happen with hosts. All hosts have issues. It's the internet. It's the way of the internet. It's fragile. It's a bunch of computers put together and we, we're all connected by a, a dodgy telephone line generally. So from my perspective, as a founder who has sold to a hosting company, it's up to the hosting company to make that business work from now on because I'm two years out, right? So if it, if if elegant marketplace fails, not down to me. Sorry, I've been out of it for two years. And if Pagely fails, Joshua and Sally have got that get out and saying, "Do you know what? Not not my problem. You know, it's it, yeah. I've sold it. I've done it." To so, Tanya, you know, GoDaddy. What's it like? You you live in Europe, right? You live in the Czech Czech Republic. How do you feel when a, a, a GoDaddy client comes to you and says, fix my website? I don't, I don't work with website. them. The first thing I do is I move them to my servers. Mm. Um, matter of fact, GoDaddy Pro came to me and asked me to do a training webinar or whatever for their clients. Don't, don't do it. Don't do on it. multilingual sites. And, and first I was like, oh, yeah, cool. You know, that's like great promotion. But then on the other hand, I was like, I, I can't have it as a policy not to work on GoDaddy and then use their platform for my own marketing, right? So I politely declined and I gave them the reasons. Um, and, and that was that. The issue I have here with Pagely and specifically that article and the way they framed it, mm-hmm. I wish they were just a little bit more honest and just yeah. say that they paid them a shitload of money. Because there is no way in hell, and and I've had to deal with GoDaddy on so many occasions, 
just, oh, yeah. you know, from moving people over to my oh, own servers. What a nightmare. I, there is no way in hell that if I had a company like that and I would be stressing so much that my mission is about my people and my customers or, or clients, that I would then go of, you know, and, and sell to yeah. GoDaddy of all companies yeah. out there. So this was money. I mean, with Elegant Marketplace, you know, you were about providing value and, and, you know, great plugins, make them accessible to expand the Divi uh, or later on other um, builders, um, ecospheres, and that's fine. You didn't tell, you know, that, that, that it's about making other people successful and, and, you know, having that human aspect on there. Even though I know you're a wonderful person and, and you love human beings, right? But it was a bit and you sold it. Shut Period. up, Stephanie. I'm, a, I'm the nicest guy I know. Uh, right. John Locke, thanks for that, Tanya. I'm, I'm a bit embarrassed now. John Locke, um, you, quickly your view on this one, because I like the way you, you know, if anybody fee, you know reads your Twitter feed and your articles and stuff, I like the way you actually have a deep look into these things. You can read in between the lines. What's your view? Okay, so I uh, listened to the post-status interview that they did right after announcing this. And it sounds like this deal came very quickly. They said that the deal was done in 10 weeks. Uh, and it sounds like it wasn't on the table uh, for a long time before that. It was a very sudden thing. GoDaddy approached Pagely from what it sounds like. It wasn't the other way around. Um, they indicated that GoDaddy wants their help in building something and then they were also interviewing Becker Ice. I don't know if it has to do with an enterprise level e-commerce solution that would be uh, competing with something like Magento. Maybe I, I'm not. I don't want to speculate too far, but he did say that um, GoDaddy specifically reached out them to them to help uh, GoDaddy build something. Because let's face it, like GoDaddy, a lot of their customers are kind of the lower third of the market. The the you know the same kind of stuff that Wix and Squarespace and uh, are are chasing. And I think that they saw an opportunity to get more enterprise level clients, but they needed that talent uh, and the engineers and the leadership from. Uh, Josh, in order to get that done. Now, he also said that Sally was going to take some time off. So Josh is going to stay on and guide that for, you know, however long, year and a half, two years. But, you know, it, it, 2021 in retrospect is going to be seen as the year in WordPress when a lot of the biggest companies sold to the monolithic companies. And, you know, I understand burnout. Um and, you know, wanting to cash out um, and then do something down the line, like when your contract expires. But I think that that leaves uh, room for other uh, people to, to come in because I, I, in a way, I don't like the idea of just a handful of super large corporations like EIG and GoDaddy owning everything. I think that there should be uh, some other companies out there. So I totally, I totally agree with you. Spencer. Do you think this is connected in any way with a WP Engine type IPO thing and GoDaddy saying we got to, we can't build it, let's buy it? 
if you look at the pricing on pagely.com, you'll see exactly your answer. It was several years ago when Josh and his wife made the decision and they were very public about it at the time. I remember it because I pursued the same angle myself. They decided to go upstream instead of downstream. So they realized they have no way they can compete with racing to the bottom against Bluehost and GoDaddy and all the rest of and HostGator and so forth. So look at their pricing. $4.99 a month, $9.99 a month, $2,500 a month or up. So they went, again, this is where I, for marketing automation, I go upstream to the CRM customers who want to be in WordPress versus not necessarily exclusively, but focusing as much energy trying to compete racing to the bottom. Why? Because the world we're in right now is there's three, four, five major verticals of people who are acquiring all the plugins and all the software to bulk them together like Disney Plus and Netflix and offer them as part of just sign up for, not pointing fingers, but sign up for Liquid Web Nexus and everything will be included or sign up for GoDaddy and everything will be included. That's the future of WordPress and Automatic's doing it with Jetpack. Pagely's selling offered the opportunity for GoDaddy to do a metaverse rebrand. We're Facebook, <laughs> but now we're a corporate enterprise space because it's called Pagely. And we're charging $2,500 a month. You know how many people they got to acquire to get $2,500 a month? Like 2,500 people versus one corporate client. That's yeah, the it's, a, it's, 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 it's an amazing purchase. But we're going to, we, we're just about halfway through now. So we're going to visit some of our sponsors. And a couple of them are actually in the panel today. So thank you, sponsors, for sponsoring us. And uh, we'll be back in a moment. Hi there, folks. Are you looking to build modern shopping cart landing pages using the power of WooCommerce for yourself or for clients? And you want to do that quickly with little need to know about hand coding? Well, if the answer is yes, and it should be, I've got the perfect answer for you, and that's Launch Flows. Launch Flows is the most modern and easiest way of building modern landing shopping pages for your clients. It also works natively with Gutenberg and the leading page builders like Elementor or Divi. It's really flexible, really powerful. Plus, if you go to the WP Tonic website, Backlink newsletter, you'll get an amazing deal of the Launch Flows lifetime deal. I think you almost get a third off, which is just amazing. And it's just an exclusive offer to you, the tribe. Please show your support for Launch Flows, who's a sponsor of the WP Tonic podcast and for the show itself. It's much appreciated. I'm Bertha, an AI-based writing assistant to help you write better content on your WordPress website. In just a few clicks, you can ask me to help you write outstanding content for your website that's guaranteed to convert from blog posts to landing pages to product pages. Never be left with that blank page again. You can try me for free on Bertha.ai. See you soon. Right, we're back with you. That was an interesting conversation around uh, Pagely and things that are going on around in the internet. Now, we've got a couple of things that I want to really visit. Um, one of them is a new block plugin. We always like to talk a little bit about Gutenberg and is it trapping you in a WordPress trying to take over the page builder market? Are the, the third-party plug-in people like Editor Plus and everybody else in in their cadence and blocks, whatever, 
are you going to be stuck in it? So what do you feel about this um, block plugin display post formats? And is it about, it's, isn't it about time that actually Gutenberg allowed us to do custom post types and post types and display them anywhere in the, uh, in anywhere in the page or anywhere in the site, basically? What do you reckon, team? Which one should I go for? I think can it's... I, uh, can I say something quick? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, before our, before we went live, when we had our chat, Andrew, I think the biggest problem in Gutenberg is, which you pointed out, is apart, apart from it taking literally freaking three years to get anywhere, um, the only thing that makes Gutenberg workable is you've got to use a host of third-party plugins to save the bloody thing. Um, so you've ended up relying on a load of third-party plugins for fundamental functionality of something that should have been built about two years ago. That, that to me, is the fundamental problem and the interesting part of this story, Andrew. Well, I, I agree with you, um, but you will, you know, we've grown up in, you know, Stephanie and Tanya and I and even Spencer have grown up with Divi and and even Chris, you know, you've had to build your own LMS Divi, Divi module, you know, to make it make it work properly. And, you know, over the, the five years that Divi's been around or four years that Divi's been around as the as the visual builder or as a block block builder and then now in the visual builder, Nick has basically integrated the best of the best into core. Is Chris, do you think that's going to happen with WordPress? They're going to see all these cadence blocks. They can see Editor Plus and go, do you know what, guys? We're going to, we're going to put our new block plugin display post formats, just like Divi have actually done that with their, um, with, with a, Divi display logic, you know, Divi conditionals. They've they've literally just been doing that, and I've owned the plugin for four years. You know, so they, they took four years to catch up to actually do conditionals. How long will Gutenberg take to do this post displays and then conditional showing? Like, there's a conditional block plugin out there, and how long will they they take to uh, integrate an LMS like yours within a block? That's that's a great question. Um... This kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier about the tension between a centralized metaverse and like a decentralized one. So I look at WordPress the same way, where you have this decentralized network of innovators making themes and plugins and all this stuff. So the network, the decentralized network is more powerful than a centralized group, like automatic and the way the current WordPress project is kind of core is governed. In my view, that should become a different type of organization, which we could talk about. But um, I think that's what makes it look like WordPress is moving slow because it is. A centralized group of innovators can never move as fast as a decentralized network of an entire community online. So what WordPress does is they gobble up the best ideas, kind of like we saw in the page builder market, to the Gutenberg, but then it's going to be, then they're slower because they're not as focused as like an Elementor or a Beaver Builder. So it takes a while to catch up. But eventually, because WordPress is still more decentralized than a single page builder company, the, the innovation will tip to the point that it feels like it's caught up and now it's snowballing and they get to leverage the WordPress community. 
For post format specifically, I think this is actually one of the biggest opportunities for WordPress because um, when you when a creator or a business can look at WordPress and you know I, this is just an image that I want to publish and push out there. The way people think as a as a creator is like, well, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to go to Instagram. You know, I don't think about WordPress, but if WordPress WordPress has obviously mastered the blog post, but if WordPress can really innovate on images, like image-only posts, videos, audios, in uh, in product development, and in viral uh, like entrepreneurship, there's always this thing called a social object. And what WordPress can do is, uh, if they just innovate and allow people to create to feel like they can express just as well with an image, with a GIF, with a video. There's more. It goes on. Courses are another type of post or block of content in a, in a way of thinking about it or an object. Sure. Yeah, I'm excited about it, but those are, those, that's kind of how I see that. Brilliant. Now, MrsDivvy.com. You're going to have to change your name, aren't you? MrsGutenberg.com, maybe. Are you guys still married, by the way, Tanya? Yeah, yeah. Mr. Divi and you? Um, Kind of. (laughs) Is it like the the Bezos? I'm not going to share my secrets, hello. (laughs) Yeah, but um, you know what? I have to be honest, and I kind of kick myself for this. I don't know, maybe I'm too old, you know, to learn new tricks, but I'm in fact, so focused on Divi. I mean, I've toyed around with Gutenberg and, and with the blocks and stuff, but it's, I don't know, I'm, I'm Miss Divi and, and I just can't get warm with Gutenberg. Um, I mean, I understand the basics of it. I know how to use it. I just don't enjoy using it. So um, hmm, I guess my opinion on that wouldn't be too relevant tonight. All right, so, so Stephanie, I mean, you publish for other people on 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 their behalf. How how often do you think you'd use a, a Gutenberg block like this that would allow you to do custom post types or post types or you know publish at will or whatever? What, what, what you know, you're not a Gutenberg person; you're a Divi person, right? I am. I'm certainly not anti, but I'm a little like what Tanya's saying is I'm just sort of in that ecosystem. I love watching what's happening and what's coming. And I think um, like some of the comments that have been made, you know, we see innovation is exciting and it comes at a cost. <clears throat> you know, and it's like, so the, the folks that came up with, all, you know, like all the different builders, you know, have developed all these things. And it's like small little things are big, exciting releases. And then yeah. you get to the point where now we've got so many of these things that, we're not satisfied. We're chasing a new big high. So we're, nobody's going to be satisfied with small, little, tiny updates. For Gutenberg, they've got to nail it and they've got to go big for all of those things to really impress people or wow people because otherwise they get them all already in other places. So I don't know. Yeah. I just, I'm enjoying watching this journey, this Gutenberg like progression of how things are growing. And I think it's, I think it's awesome. And I think it's the future of WordPress for sure. I mean, it's, it's going to be so powerful and really good, but it is. I, but we've got we've got the lock in issues, haven't we? we? We always get criticised being Divi users that you're locked in. It's short code driven, or Elementor, you're locked in. It's not short code driven, but you're still locked in. Um, and if you're using a third party 
extension or plugin or or something where it's not in core, and that's why uh, a lot of the Divi stuff, you know, and, and Elementor, you know, they've put in stuff that's um, was a plugin, and now they've they've put it into their core offering. I think that's what's going to happen with um, Gutenberg. They're going to see these things. They'll do a Divi, and they'll see these things. So that's in core. But the problem is, is that Gutenberg is is touted as the fastest way to or fastest fastest website. So you know, Divi put all of these these things in through the kitchen sink in, and when said, well, actually, we need a bigger plug hole, you know, because we need to speed these things up. And then they've got the Divi optimizations, Elementor doing the same thing with optimizations. Is it going to, with all the third-party um, extensions for Gutenberg and WordPress core not catching up, is it going to be a, a lock-in situation, Spencer Foreman? As far as the... Who's going to win? I won't bet, but I will tell you one of the things that I take from this that's related to your question. Post formats is no longer important. The thing is, all of the tools that we had put our hopes on and dreams on along the way, like the customizer and the Mm -hmm. template hierarchy, which is still relevant, post formats, were all ways to band-aid the problem when you're using HTML, CSS, PHP of, how to fix themes that didn't have the capability baked in. As soon as you move to one page builder or another, including Gutenberg, a post format is irrelevant. It's absolutely irrelevant. In fact, it's confusingly irrelevant. It's like talking about, oh, that tool you needed to fix the wooden wagon wheel with your cart because you just bought a Tesla. Well, just because they have wheels, it's not the same thing. It's not the same tool. So I think... um, I'm self-promoting a little, but I was talking about this on the, the WP Minute this week of why don't we have a Canvas theme? If we, we had a Canvas theme? if we had a Canvas theme for Gutenberg and then Divi, for example, so Mrs. Divi can feel comfortable and Stephanie and anybody else can feel comfortable with Gutenberg where they say it's not so hot, and I agree. If you had a standardized way of doing things that worked with the other tools, then everybody could be happy. You lay in your... You use Divi to make your blocks. You use Oxygen to make your blocks. But the blocks cover the things that post-format used to need to do because it doesn't matter what's inside of it. It's a block. And I think that's the bottom line because as a guy who raised three kids, I, like any parent, had a basement full of all kinds of toys. You know the toy that works best? Legos. Why? Because it doesn't matter if they were made in 1940 or 1960 or 2020. They all fit together. It's when you mix in the wood toys with the Lego blocks, with the metal toys, that everything gets ugly. And that's where WordPress is right now in a transition of which things can we throw away and which things can we focus on? I get it. I get it. That's really, really a good point. Now, I'm going to jump back to one, and I'm going to have John Locke in here. This is tech, John, and it's Zillow. Anyone read that article and have any feelings about how Zillow kind of used uh, an AI algorithm and it mucked them up a bit to the tune of what, 200 million? John Locke. It was was a lot. Um, There were hundreds of people that ended up losing their jobs. Uh, The biggest thing about this, basically they were using machine learning to try and predict when... uh, to buy homes and basically flip them. And the margin of error was very small. Uh, They had to uh, increase the prices on the homes just enough to where people would buy, buy the homes at the right price and predict where they were going to be in six months. 
Um, there is a person that basically, I, I, I actually saw this somewhere else as a person on Twitter that basically said what they were doing. Um, when homes are sold in the U.S., the realtor will use a, a sample of different homes in the area. They'll say, these are homes that recently sold for these prices. And this is what your home can sell for. So what Zillow was doing uh, through automatic bidding, they were first, they were using the data uh, from people that would be, let's say I'm in Sacramento, I'm looking to move to, we'll, we'll say like Boise, Idaho. It can see like where different people are searching. It can see what homes are looking at and what they can afford. So what it would do is it would calculate where to buy these homes up because they're just flush with cash, kind of like BlackRock Capital. And like not the first nine homes it would buy at the market price. And then the 10th one it would buy for 30000 more. Not And why it would do that is basically to push that average up. So they're artificially inflating the market, pushing people out of, you know, an already... Um, inflated market with housing where everybody is, is unless you're super rich, you're, you're kind of struggling to buy a home now. Um, so in a way, I'm kind of glad that this failed because if it had succeeded, the consequences would have actually been a lot worse, I think, overall. But the goal was to basically use machine learning to flip houses using data that they collected from users and the result is the machine learning, uh, you know, it needed to have razor sharp accuracy and it didn't. And as a result, they had a big loss and many people lost their jobs. But I don't like this precedent for tech. It's really dangerous and it's going to end up uh, having some big effects uh, if, if something like this was successful. Right. I get that. And it, it we're at the stage where I had a really interesting meeting with uh, Heather Renz and her husband, Matthew, the other week. I met them in London. It was great. We had some cocktails and had a good old chinwag for about three hours. Um, he's into machine learning and AI in a big way. If you, you know, just Google Matthew Renz, it's, uh, it, it, it's, per, it's totally interesting. But we're not at the stage now where we can completely rely on algorithms and AI. Look at Google. Look at the search results we get. It's just crazy that sometimes it's wrong. Look at the situation with SiteGround not being able to be indexed. There's something wrong there that's, that's an automatic process has broken somewhere, whether it's SiteGround's place, whether it's Google's place. Google actually in Europe at uh, 11 a.m. this morning until about 1 p.m. lunchtime in, in Europe and UK, the Eastern servers were down. You couldn't get onto YouTube. You couldn't get onto Google. So there, there might be a tie-in in that because the SiteGround situation is only in Europe, um, as far as I'm aware. But with using AI, and obviously we've got Bertha.ai, we we insist it's a writing assistant. It won't, you know, there are other products out there that are saying this will write content for you. It's a complete fabrication. You, you know, we say it's a writing assistant. You can use it as an assistant. And I think Matthew was saying to me that people should just rely on AI to help them get to where they need to go rather than let them just drive, let the AI drive them in that direction. We're, we're too far away from allowing AI. And Chris Badgett, you're nodding here. You're into this kind of thing as well. What's your view? 
Yeah, I think that the humans and the machines need to work together. Sure. Uh, if you haven't, if it's not obvious, I'm like a super optimistic guy. So if we look at something like the truck driving industry, which is going to be disrupted by uh, driverless trucks, uh, when this kind of innovation happens, uh, you still need humans. They're just going to be doing different things. And there's a whole debate and a lot of nuance to that. But if you look back through the arc of history, uh, people figure it out. Like there's just there's something else of higher value that the human focuses on. Just like us as website builders, the website allows us to communicate at scale. So we're, so there's the human and the, and the, the machine there. Um, when it comes to real estate here, I think this is a great example of the, there's like a philosophical thing where if you train an AI or a machine to get as much gold as possible, eventually it's like killing all the humans and taking it out of people's teeth or whatever, because you told it to get the gold, as much gold. I think that's what happened here with the data science and the real estate with Zillow was the, 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 the program got out of control, right? And it, yeah. it went a little too far. And there are there is a place for the human in real estate transactions. As, as old school and archaic as some of the systems are in real estate, um, a local area knowledge around pricing is important and it's not something that you know can totally be figured out with the bloomberg machine like automatic trading in the stock market some of the best investors they 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 use a combination of creativity and leveraging big data and i love your analogy andrew about bertha being an assistant technology is a great enabler um but it's the most powerful when it's assisting the human. And the, what the human does is the creative, the imagination, uh, the perception of patterns that a machine can't detect. When those things work together, uh, that's, it can be a beautiful thing. It can also be an ugly thing. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's... There, big data has a place in society. Algorithms have a place in society. Auto, automation has a place in society. But the best things always come from the combination with the human. Brilliant. Stephanie, what's your view on it? How do you feel about AI in general and the fact that Zillow bought a bunch of houses, lost money on it, 100 people lost their jobs? What's that all about? Well, I don't want people to lose their jobs, but, uh, you know, that they took a gamble. We would, you know, that, that could have gone either way. That could have worked. I mean, this is new technology. So, you know, I don't, I mean, they're a big giant company, and I'm I'm not sure all of their motives are fully uh, honest and sincere. I mean, I will say, like, I love Zillow memes. <laughs> like, I love the jokes about Zillow. They're so funny. Uh, just Google Zillow memes and also maybe watch the YouTube video that I put in the chat because it's oh, the no, SNL no. skit about maybe, maybe they're making things. them themselves so that they've got NFTs. They've got Zillow NFTs. What do you, what do you I doubt it, but I, you know, so, I mean, I'm not super involved in this. My family has a real estate company. And so I know like their per- perception of them, but it, like Chris said, there's a human being still has power in that industry. That's not, you know, I mean, if you, are a McDonald's employee, you might be in trouble pretty soon. Like your job might be in danger, but I don't, I don't think right now that like realtors are running a risk. I, I hate that the, the cal- that the calculated risk that somebody made cost all of those people their jobs. Like that's, that's a bummer, but. 
Yeah, what do you do? Tanya, you just moved into a new house, what, six months ago, eight months ago? Did you use AI to find it? Oh, my goodness. We've been here. This is going to be our third Christmas in this house. Oh, my God, three years. That's how how behind I am. Did we use AI? You know what? I'm not even sure because at some point I was just so fed up with our living situation that I I said to my fiancé, you need to present a house. And um, yeah, so that's what he basically did. I'm I'm pretty sure. I love that attitude. I'm pretty sure he went through whatever sites, but um, actually, I know, I know, this, I, I know this guy. I've met this guy. He's, he would just do. Okay, I'll present the house, right? I'll do one told. Great. Present a house, present a house, brilliant. Spencer Foreman. But just a second. All right. Um, this cup that I'm drinking from is actually from my best friend in Boston, and she, well, not Boston. Um, she's on Cape Cod, and she's a real estate um agent there. And I was thinking about her when I read the Zillow article. Um, you know, about how AI messes with her job, like AI messes with so many messes, right? Messes with our jobs in so many areas. And am I happy that this happened to Zillow, the company? Yes. Am I happy for the employees? No, of course not. But I think there's just places where AI does not have a place. And real estate to me is one of those things, because when I think about, you know, all the houses I've ever owned, they came with such huge emotional baggage, be it positive or negative, doesn't matter, that I just don't want AI messing with that. Yeah, and there's, there's so no think, judgment, is there, to taking the emotive, zero. it's like buying a car. You know, right. there's an emotional response when, you you know, a friend of mine's just bought a Mustang E-Tech or whatever it is, and he, you know, we played golf, golf together the other day. He couldn't concentrate on his golf because he was so excited about having this new EV car because it's emotional. I'm going to have this nice because he's got, you know, he's got two kids, two brand new kids, basically t- two years old and six months old. And it's going to be big enough to fit everything in, including his golf clubs without having to take them out every single time. So there are emotions involved in physical purchases. So, yeah, there is. But the, what like they were doing time. with it. What they were doing, though, they were basically trying, you know, there's an F, there's FX algorithms out there. There's big data used to calculate what share prices are going to be next year, you know, or next next moment. So they were using people's homes and properties speculatively. Right. And that's, that's I think, where it went wrong because you can never, you know, and also we were, we're, we're, we're still in a pandemic and people weren't looking exactly. to move. Um, you know, and, and these all these emotional things were going. I'm not sure we've had your opinion on this, John, because we've got about five minutes um, to go towards the end of the show before we move on to... Oh, let, um, let Spencer remark, because Spencer's got, you know, he was a property developer before. Um, I'd be interested in Spencer's... Well, I was going to ask Spencer, but I, we've only got five minutes, but go on, Spencer, go on then. You can go. <laughs> Thanks. Wow. <laughs> Thanks for your intense desire, in my opinion, on this. You do tend to go on like a dripping tap sometimes, but carry on. (laughs) 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 He needs some amusement, Spencer. Don't fuck off, will you, Spencer? Don't worry. (laughs) The the problem is crap in, crap out. The problem isn't the AI. The problem is that you can't use AI to buy and sell a property when there's a million things you need to find out about the property in person. If they had actually sent people out to the homes to inspect them, and then they had a data input system for a real inspector that would have affected the valuation, then they would have acted like a real person. 
asking a machine to base its assumptions on 50 to 70% of the required data being missing is ridiculous because I bought and sold hundreds of houses and buildings over the years. Not one of them did I ever buy without actually visiting the property or having somebody do it for me. So the whole thing is ridiculous to begin with because it's nothing to do with machine learning. It's to do with the fact that nobody programmed the machine with the data to act like an intelligent person would. It yeah. is still data, though. It is still data that machines could capture. There's no data, actually, but there's no data actually, that's relevant because the I data actually that, think sometimes the emotional stuff, when you're talking about determining value, the emotions are what what skew the data. You know, my folks, they they like will just crack up all the time because in one transaction, the person selling the house thinks it's worth so much more and the and the one that they're buying, they think it should be bought. You know, those are just emotional reactions. That's not data. So the idea of having data where things can be on an even playing field. Where data like, is like condition of the property data. For example, when I would buy and sell houses I mean, yeah. and go in there, you go in the basement and you take a look and you can see, for example, there's termite damage or there's water leaking out of this. Or when you're standing on the back porch, you see the smokestack from the nuclear power plant in view of your house. Those things don't show up with the data that's on Zillow. But when a person no, it's goes not to there yet. property. Yeah, okay. no, it's not there yet. But I'm saying like, it doesn't have to be a human being doing this. I agree 100% that it's the data in, but just like the way that the data is captured could be done at some point. Yeah, if they have technology. a human go visit the property and then fill out a standardized form. Because that's, the, by the way, Stephanie, I don't disagree with your point, but what I'm saying is that's the positive future of this. Right. The, the people who right now are thinking like the machines are going to take over. Guess what? Focus your energy on the aspects of machine and automation, learning and, and activation and so forth that have to be done by humans. Even, for example, in the power lines or in the solar panels, they need real people to interact with human beings at a certain level or to be physically present because there's no mechanical way to do that until it's the... A, it's, the a shame that go, it's a shame that GoDaddy don't realize <laughs> Oh, I mean, this is the upside of all of this. Is that, Completely irrelevant yeah. comment from my co-host there. I might have to mute him for the rest of the show. Spencer, I'm going to I'm going to cut you there. I, I totally agree. I think the emotion, you know, we've got a, a couple of estate agents out here, and I, I, I think you guys pay quite a lot of commission to your um, realtors, don't you? Like 8% or something. Six, no, 5 to 6%. Five, oh, yeah, no, 5 or 6 Do you know what the average is in the UK? Sounds like 8%. 1.25%. Oh. Yeah, well, but, but there's a difference. Yeah, you got to take into in, in our economy account. the brokers do I'm not saying it's worth it, but I'm saying the brokers do have a, a huge influence on selling because there's a big fisbo market for sale by owner and it's right. pretty fair to say that unless you're giving away the property that the market is skewed because the brokers control it, that they don't give attention to the properties that aren't being sold by brokers. Yeah, well, that's what uh, Andrew, just for our listeners, we've got to take into account in the US, Andrew, most people when selling a house, they don't employ a lawyer. It's actually the agent that draws up the contract. And right. there's no, in most transactions, Andrew, there's no lawyer involved. That is dealt by the agent. Got you. Well, most conveyancing is under £500, to be honest. It's not based on the price of the house. I don't know what I don't know what kind of um, lawyers you were using in the well, UK. They, my, my bills were all substantially a bit higher. Yeah, than we that. we all have to do the lawyers on on. Uh, so you sign. You basically just to, just for the benefit of US viewers and British viewers that, that are listening to European viewers is basically you um, 
you do the exchange and then you sign the contracts. So you sign sign contracts and then you do the exchange. When you do the exchange, all the money gets transferred from the lawyer's money account, mm-hmm. the, the, their client account, and goes into the, the other account. And it's a, it's a bit of a nightmare and it never takes less than six weeks, no matter what you do, even if you're a, an alleged cash buyer. Right, moving on. We're going we're gonna to just spend two minutes on this. Because I think it's worth it, and I and, and I, I think and because we've got Tanya here, Stephanie here, me here, and and Chris here, and John, who and and also Spencer, you know, you've got loads of competitors. Chris Lemmer wrote um, an article: "The market is never too crowded." You've got to ignore the fact that it's it's peppered with affiliate links. That's just the way Chris is. But because he writes every single day you know there's a lot of stuff that he has to come up with and i think that that within this uh, and jonathan chose this post i think it's relevant and i think we need to basically acknowledge that the market is never too crowded so um spencer what was your view and i know you last one to talk but i want your view first i i can i can say this with the you know poking chris in the ribs he, he has to churn out a lot of content, so he sure. throws a lot of stuff against the wall to see if it sticks. I, I think his topic is an is a interesting one to think about, but the premise of his conclusion is ridiculous. Here's why. <laughs> the, the, the things that are happening have nothing to do with the being too many players. The things that are happening have to do with the fact that somebody comes up with a completely different way to solve the problem. Again, using my metaphor of, there's a whole market of people who make wagons pulled by horses. There's already a hundred of them. The market's never too crowded. Well, guess what? When the car comes along or the you know electric car, you're not offering the same kind of a solution. You're offering a completely different solution to the pain point. The pain point is, in this case, let's say forms. You need to collect data from a user. Well, yeah, sure, gravity forms can try to keep up. But boy, oh boy, was that long in the tooth. When Fluent Forms comes into the place or Ninja Forms, they're doing something very, very different in many ways. And people are moving from the old wagon to the new car or the electric car. And then what happens is Gravity Forms either dies or has to change their actual format, which, by the way, they did. So, I mean, if he added a little clarification here, that's what I would recommend the clarification be. Because... um, there's a lot of things that we used to study in, in law and otherwise that were like false premises, right? Ergo proct, ergo proct or hoct or proct or whatever, some Latin word for it. But this does not necessarily follow from that. And in, in this particular case, I guarantee you in two years, if we're all still here, we're going to be talking about the new 3D virtual Gutenberg feature, this or that. We're not going to be talking about blocks. And that's why there's always room. There's room for innovation. Well, there is. Chris, you you entered a crowded marketplace. How did, how's it going? It's going good. It was seven years ago that we launched Lifter LMS. And uh, mark, uh, competitors in the market drives innovation. So I think it's actually really good and healthy, for example, that LearnDash is in the hands of Chris Lemma, where it, it's just going to further innovation in, in the LMS space. But to Spencer's point, um, you know, we entered the market and people in their mind thought of membership, e-commerce, and LMS as being separate things, course creation. So day one, when we launched our product and designed it, we put all those things together. So that was our innovation into the space. Sure. Uh, so, but because that didn't exist, we entered, and that was one of our main selling points. So that's just where innovation comes from. Perfect, perfect. And, and we... 
We were innovated upon with Divi, right? And Elementor innovated again, and then Oxygen innovated again, and Brizey innovated again. We're we're inundated with page builders, right? I'm not going to take any more more people's opinion on this because I think we've got we, we've got where we are. I like the fact that Lemma writes um, some stuff. I'm going to be lucky enough to be meeting him at um, where are we going, Stephanie? What's going on? Florida, the recurring revenue retreat. We're going to the re- recurring revenue retreat in Florida, so that's uh, that's next week, and we're going to be interesting a lot. But you're not going there, Chris, are you? Are you, are you there, Mister Paget? I'm not at that one. I'd love to go to one of those at some point down the road. But yeah, yeah. we'll we'll well let you know. Just keep in touch with Stephanie; and she tells you everything. Right. So we're gonna we're gonna shut this down. Thanks for the thanks to the guests. I really um, appreciate. Well, we need their recommendations of the week. We're gonna have with that. I haven't finished, John. I'm the host. I'm running this show. <laughs> Shut your mouth. We're gonna shut Guys, this down. No but fight. before, but before we shut this down, we're gonna ask people for recommendations. So if you haven't got one or you didn't know that you needed a recommendation, um, particularly the new people here, I'm going to uh, go straight away to Spencer Foreman because he's got a recommendation already. I do. Today I'm gonna to recommend a product which is really really worth everybody checking out. It's WPCal.io. It is essentially um, two fellas knocked off Calendly and made it a WordPress plugin. It's missing one critical feature, but I spoke to them about it this morning, and you can see the critical feature that's missing, and I'll explain to you very quickly. The, the thing that it does is it makes it possible to have in your WordPress stack the Calendly capability of onboarding somebody for a call, right? Not for a paid booking, but like I want to have a call with Spence. So if you were to go to WPLaunchify.com, you, you can check that out with the button. But the one feature they don't have is when somebody, let's say, fills out a form using, let's say, Fluent Forms or Gravity Forms to just pass the information that you've already collected in your own way to the booking plugin yeah. that WP Calid does. So I don't have to ask them for it twice. I suggested if they do that via a URL string, a hook, a custom post type, all the things that make all these other plugins now play nice, this would be my plugin of the year because getting off of a third-party service, even a good one like Calendly, and putting it in your WordPress stack so it works with your other plugins is everything I've been screaming about for two years here. And I think this one in particular, uh, I want to say something too. If you need to sell stuff in a booking, check out Amelia. But Amelia is like a framework, and this is a tool. And I tried setting up Amelia only to be disappointed that I was left like daylight dollar short. This thing, five minutes, get off Calendly, good to go. I'm very excited about it. Brilliant. John Locke. Obviously. Recommendation. And you're on mute. Yeah. My recommendation is WPLivestreams.com. And that is a collection of different live streams in the WordPress space. I think it's uh, from different formats like podcasting and YouTube and Facebook. So go check it out. Perfect. Stephanie Hudson, what you got for us? I am recommending today a new app called Crisp. It's K-R-I-S-P dot A-I, and it is um, audio, um, it cleans up your audio in and out, and they have a free version that's good for a few hours a month, something like that. Uh, I have, my assistant has horrendous audio, and I was getting a terrible headache every time we'd be working (laughs) co-working together, and I just put this in, and boom, it doesn't, it, it, 
like it's like when you're on the airplane and you click on your noise canceling headphones and it's just like ah, oh, it does that exactly, <laughs> and it also blocks out like if you've got kids in the background, a dog barking, people making noise in the room, like it it. I've tested it on a bunch of things. It's awesome. I I went with the premium because I just use it yeah. all the time. And it's Angie, not very expensive. Angie, Angie's going to use it on me. I'll tell you what, there's nothing that can cancel you out. Um, and talking of you, what's yes. your recommendation? Um, it's a service. Um, it's Flatcom. Put your mouth um, by the mic. People might be able to hear it. All right. It's Flatcom. <laughs> He's been really grouchy today, folks, hasn't he? <laughs> even poor, I feel even sorry for poor old Spencer. Uh, um, so, Flatcom, uh, um, uh, um, they provide almost six million vectors, icons, all sorts of stuff, and uh, most of it's free, and it's pretty good. So go to flatcom.com. Brilliant. And if someone else can put them in Slack for me, because I'm yes. on a laptop without <laughs> You are not at work for me, Jonathan. What is it again? It's F-L-A-T? F-L-A-T-I-C-O-N.com. Oh, Flat Icon. Flat Icon. Yeah, that's the one. Um, Tanya, I've given you enough time to think about a recommendation. What have you got? Oh, that's easy. Since we skipped the topic, I'm going to recommend WPML to anybody who's thinking about... We haven't skipped the topic. We haven't skipped the topic because what we do is we end this podcast live. It's about an hour. And then we go on to extra, and that's where you're coming in. That's I see. Okay, well, you can still recommend it. You can still recommend it. It's not a problem. Well, yeah, since we're live, I'm going to recommend it because I know a bunch of my translation buddies are watching. Hi, everybody. Love you so much. Um, Yeah, if if you're going to translate your website, please do it with WPML because it is the mother. And I can tell you, as a translator and as a web designer, it's the. Don't give away too much, Tanya. We we, we (laughs) want them to go on the bonus content for God's sake, Tanya. Go on the bonus content, and I will explain why it is. Yeah, perfect. Right? Who hasn't? Everybody's given their recommendation, right? No, Chris Chris hasn't. My goodness. Carry on, Chris. Uh, since we were talking about the metaverse today, if anybody wants to go deep, there I heard a great podcast uh, last weekend, and the the episode is called "WTF Is a Metaverse." On the breakdown is the name of the podcast. I feel like and I it need just kind of blew my mind, and I, I've already pretty far down this rabbit hole, so I'll put a link to that in the chat. So thanks for touching so on one of my favorite I, I think we today. I think we have to have a. A learn, you know, learn with Chris session definitely. Yeah. Whether it's whether it's on here or not, and so and just talk about the metaverse. I think it's great. You know, your knowledge and your enthusiasm behind it is fantastic. I haven't got a link today because I've got a life hack for freelancers. If you're running out of work or you haven't got a lot of work, but you've got customers, announce that you're going to an event far away like America, like Florida, like Stephanie and I are gonna gonna attend a week before you go, and you will be inundated <laughs> with work. Yeah, it always works, doesn't it? So just every three months go on holiday. Even if you don't go on holiday, you're gonna get shit tons of work because and maybe Spencer knows I'm only playing with him, but um, you know, it's just crazy how when you announce you go away and boom. You get tons of work. So it's great. My team are going to be so busy while I'm away. It's brilliant. So that's the end of this podcast. But what what I what this particular hour, but I what we forget always is that we've got wp-tonic.com forward slash newsletter. Sign up for the newsletter. I write the main content. John puts it all together. 
Stick around now for the extra content. And if, if our panel can't stick around, apart from, of course, Tanya, because you need to, it's all about um, translation. Um, and thank you very much for taking the time to, one, be here, and to the viewers and listeners for listening as well. I really appreciate it. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week.